Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. If you got a copy of the Word, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 9. We're really going to look at one verse today. Going to read a few more than that, but really just going to look at one verse, beginning at verse 23 and following. This summer we've been speaking along the lines regarding trials and tests. Call it TNT, surviving the blast, and what it's aimed at is encouragement for those moments in your life when it seems everything just blew up, when everything you thought you had on track went off track, when all the things you thought you had settled cropped back up again, when everything that can go wrong is going wrong. There's great comfort in the word of the Lord. We've learned some things about trials. We've learned that they're promised. They are coming. It's not a when. It's, it's, not, it's a when, not an if. We've learned they're pointed. They're aimed just directly at your faith. That's what they're about is testing of that faith. We understand they're prolific. We're not going to encounter just one, not even one at a time. We're going to have trials on every hand's turn, tests on every hand's turn. Such is the life we lead. We've learned most of all that they're purposeful that God uses them in the lives of His children to produce planned results. That God uses those tests, those trials, those pressures for a reason in your life. Romans teaches us that everything works together for our good if we love Him and are called according to His purpose. So our question for this series is, Pastor, what do these trials accomplish? What are some of these good things that come about as a result of these trials and tests. Well, number one, we learned that God uses trials and tests to direct us to the appointed place. We've learned that God uses these pressures, these tests, these situations in our lives to get us to a place that He needs us to be in to minister. We understand that there's nothing wasted, that He's using everything to move us on down the line to that place that He has prepared for us. Number two, we've learned that God uses tests and trials to make us depend upon His amazing grace. He told Paul, son, my grace is sufficient for you. It's in my weakness that, it's in your weakness that my grace shines the brightest. He said, man, learn uh, that what I am doing in your life, I use these things to point you to my great grace. His great grace and trusting in it releases in your life His great power. Number three, we've learned that God uses tests and trials to mature us in our faith. I tried to teach you that age does not necessarily equal maturity. Just because you're growing old chronologically doesn't mean you're growing in your faith. Uh, Our aim is to deepen, to broaden, to widen our understanding and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our aim is that at the end of the day tomorrow, we look more like our Lord and our Savior than at the beginning of the day today. And man, trials serve a purpose in our life to help us mature in our faith. Tribulation, Romans says, worketh patience. And patience, proven character, a maturity. And maturity, hope, and earnest expectation, which is shed abroad by His love in our hearts and the person of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to point you toward this thought. God uses tests and trials in our lives to identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses trials and tests to identify us with Jesus Christ. Let's read together Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and following a very famous passage, red-letter passage, spoken from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If any man will come after me, a call to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Verse 25, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and he loses himself or be cast away? Verse 26, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and that of the holy angels. This passage, as well as many others in the Word of God, call for us as believers in Christ to clearly and concisely identify ourselves with Him. What does it mean to identify with something? Well, identify means this. It means to associate closely with something, to be linked with something, to be mentioned in the same breath with something, to have an unmistakable connection with something, to cast your lot alongside something. In short, and if you're taking notes, here's what you need to write today. Identification means this, in short, I'm with Him for our context today. When we say we're going to identify with Jesus Christ, what we're saying loudly and clearly is, hey world, I am with Him. That's what we're saying. I love a a Japanese steakhouse. How many of y'all like a Japanese steakhouse? Hibachi. I mean, you can go get the steak and chicken combo with a, a little fried rice, maybe a little egg drop soup, man, all that good stuff. I love that. Tammy and I both do. Man, we have one problem. Our children don't enjoy that very much. So the four of us, when we're together, we don't get to go to the Hibachi Steakhouse with the four of us. So anytime we can, that it's just the two of us. We make our way to the Japanese Steakhouse to eat. We found such an occasion on, on one time, uh, you know, a little while ago, where we decided the two of us would head to the Japanese Steakhouse. Well, if you know anything about them, there's a grill there, and like eight people sit around that Japanese Steakhouse grill. Well, they put the two of us in with six people who are obviously together in this moment. And man, those six people weren't people that were like us. They didn't think like us. They didn't act like us. Man, I'm going to tell you, when we sat down, it became painfully apparent to us that they were drunk out of their mind sitting around this grill in that hibachi steakhouse. And man, it didn't take much of a detective to figure it out. They were cussing, and I'm not talking about little words. I'm talking about words that make sailors blush. I mean, they were cussing. They were telling every dirty joke they could think of. At one point, there were three couples, three men, three women. At one point, one of them lied. One of the girls lied to the waiter, told him it was her birthday, so they'd bring her a free dessert. When she got there, the waiter kind of played with them, got her to stand up in her chair and start dancing. I mean, it was a scene unlike which I've never seen in my lifetime. I'm sitting there with my bride trying to have a romantic dinner with six yahoos at the table. I'm just here to tell you. Man, they were loud. The entire restaurant was looking over there at us. After a little bit of this, I told Tammy, I said, I've had all this. I can stand. She said, I agree. And the whole time I was holding her in her chair because she had run out a long time before I had in that moment. I said, I think we need to call the manager. And I'm not a call the manager guy. But in this moment, I felt like that was the best thing I could do. We just talked about calling the manager. I was looking around for him, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, a guy, because if you've ever been there, there's two of those grills, kind of back to back, and it makes a table like this. I noticed a man get up from this one. And 
when you looked, he was at his table with a bunch of young ladies, 12, 13 years old. And he made his way right over to the ringleader of that group after he had dropped the word that you shouldn't say anywhere in this world one more time. And he made his way over to that guy and about three inches from his face, he said these words somewhat to him. He said, sir, I have heard all that that I'm going to hear in this restaurant tonight. He said, this whole crowd hears you. What you're doing is inappropriate. It's out of control. I've got my granddaughter over here with a bunch of her friends, and I'm not going to put up with that one more second. He said, I'm going to go back and sit down now, and if you see me get up again, you better be ready because I'm not coming over here to talk to you next time I walk over here. And you say, what did you do? I started getting my watch off, beloved. I thought, holy smoke, we're going right here in a Japanese steakhouse, me, a granddad, and some little girls are going to wear some drunk people out right here in the Japanese steakhouse. You said, is that what Jesus would have done? I don't know, but I was ready to whip somebody for the glory of God. How many of y'all, I was ready in that moment. I was. I tell you one thing we did do, we said loud and clear to anybody that would listen, hey, we are not with this bunch of nuts over here. That's what we said. We're not with this bunch over here. Hey, we're aligned with these people. We think the way he thinks, and man, we wanted the people to know we didn't belong with them at all. And I wonder if it isn't time today for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and loudly and clearly say, we do not align with this bunch of people over here. I wonder if it isn't time today for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and say, I don't align with the devil and his crowd. I align with the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, I don't know that man's name. I don't know whether he was lost or saved. I don't know what country he came from. But in that moment in time, I aligned with him. Well, let me ask you, church, what of one who loved me enough to be humbled, misunderstood, maligned, and hated? What of one who loved me enough to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, stripped, spat on, a crown of thorns on his head, crucified, pierced, and sacrificed? What of one who loved me enough to defeat death, hell, and the grave by his resurrection power and to offer to me by his grace life and life eternal? What of one who chose me, called me, saved me, came to live in me, and walks with me and talks with me every minute of every hour of every day what of one who knows me by my name who has loved me with an everlasting love what of one who is in glory in this moment preparing a place for me that I might live with him and reign with him throughout all eternity church I believe it's time that we stand up on our feet and with the loudest voice we can say I don't align with a political party or a philosophical way of thinking I don't align with a country or a creed. I align with one named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's him that I identify with today. Man, Jesus here is calling us, church. He's giving us an opportunity to come to a place to identify with him and with him alone. So the question today is this, Pastor, if I'm going to identify with him, how do I do it in the best way possible? Well, we identify with the Lord in a lot of ways. One of them is confession. I stood by a creek bank with a, uh, with a young man who'd given his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ last Sunday afternoon. Man, he told of his salvation, and we talked about Jesus and his love and how good he was. And we took each other by the hand, and we walked into that river, and we baptized him. A believer's baptism, a confession 
of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody on that creek bank and every car that was driving by knew exactly what was going on. Somebody was aligning with the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How do we do that? We do it, church, by confession. By what we say and by how we live. We align and identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it by connection. The fact that you got up and came to church at a house of worship this morning. The fact that you're connected with the organizations that he's connected with and promoting the things that he's behind. Man, that aligns you and identifies you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think sometimes the greatest way we can identify with him is the way we often most overlook. It's the way of challenge. It's the way of test. It's the way of trial. And it's the way of tribulation. For you see, it's often in that cauldron of tests and tribulation in our life that we become most clearly identified with the one who loved us enough to die for us. And church today, as we consider trials and tests and, and what they do to help us identify with Him, we have to make note that this is a special kind of trial and a special kind of test that I'm talking about today. There'll be a message, I hope, in this series where I try to identify the sources and the nature of trials and tests in your life. But today we're talking about one kind in particular. The kind that comes into your life simply because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking not about the cares of this world or the things that happen to us naturally. We're talking about the kind of tests and trial that come our way simply because we name the name of Jesus Christ and we stand alongside Him. And church, that brings some testing, some trial, and some tribulation into your life. Jesus said, it surely will. In John chapter 15, if you're taking notes, 17 through 20, He says this, These things I command you, that you love one another. Now if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it did you. And if you were of the world, the world would just love you. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, and therefore the world will hate you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And folks, it's clear that when we suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ and the faith in Him, we become unequivocally identified with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now the eyes of the world may miss it, and the eyes of the church herself may miss it. But let me tell you, the eyes of the Lord are always over the righteous. And you'll never suffer one thing for His name's sake that He isn't taking note of in the kingdom of glory and won't ultimately bring back to your reward and to your good. The Word tells us that we need to understand that the world is not going to embrace us. Church, we've been blessed to dwell in the United States of America. Church, we've been blessed to be right here. We've been blessed to be in such a place as this where we don't uh, really encounter a whole lot of physical resistance. But man, I'm here to tell you, we're, we, why are we shocked that the world doesn't embrace us? Man, Jesus told us, they never shall embrace you. Man, when you're really aligned with me, really following me, don't be surprised that the world stands against you. They stood against me, and they're going to stand up squarely against you and everything that you believe in. Tests and trials, beloved, they begin to identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we best say, I'm with Him? How can we best answer this invitation, I believe, in verse 23, to be identified with our Lord and Savior, where He says, man, come after me. Identify with me to the uttermost. How can we do it best? Four thoughts rather quickly today. Number one, if we're going to identify best with Him, church, there's going to be have to be some desire on our part. If we're going to identify best with Him, you've got to know there has to be some desire. He said, if any man will. 
if you desire it, then, then come on. There's going to be, have to be some desire deep down inside your heart to go and align with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote this down. It will be a volitional choice on your part to follow after Jesus Christ that closely. It will be something that you decide to do. You won't ever stagger. You ought to write this down. This came to me. You won't ever stagger into identity with Jesus Christ. It's going to be something you decide to do. He said, if any man will, let him come after me. If any man will, let him come and be identified with me. Paul said it this way. It is my greatest desire in life just to know him. How? In the power of his resurrection. We preach that. But he went on to say, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to understand what he went through and what's going on. I'm willing in my own life to suffer so that I might know and be more closely identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never be identified with him until there's some deep desire to follow after him. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this. There's a great little Bible institute just across the way, Fruitland. Uh, Baptist Bible Institute. Now it's a university, isn't it? College, Bible College. They went up in their accreditation, which is wonderful. My dad is an alumni from there. Tammy's dad, alumni from there. Pastor Jesse, alumni. We've had so many people through the years, men and women, come through here and, and go to Fruitland. What a, what a great place of teaching and learning. We even have some now over there. Great place of teaching and learning. I can remember as a little boy, my dad leaving home and driving across to Fruitland. I'd never been there. Didn't know where it was at, but I knew that he was going because he's a pastor and somehow they were going to teach him something about what it was he was trying to do for the Lord. So he'd make his way over there. I got to be honest with you, I love it, I respect it. There's not been many days in my life I woke up in the morning and, and thought, Stace, you can do anything you want to today. What is it that you want to do? And I thought, I think I'll just drive to Fruitland and hang out. I, I just have never really thought that in my life. I will tell you, though, there was a period in my life from the time I turned 17 till I was about 18 and a half where getting to Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute was the only thing on my mind. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, when I slept at night, all I was doing was trying to devise a way to get to Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute. You say, why? Because there was a pretty little green-eyed girl that lived on the campus with her mom and dad over there. And man, everything I could do, every dime I could make, went for gas in my tank so I could get to Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute. Institute. I had a, a great desire, a great motivation to get there. And you see, what we need in our life to understand is you're never going to follow hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never going to follow Him closely unless there's some kind of deep restlessness and desire born by the Holy Spirit of God that wells up inside you, that drives you to follow after Him. He said, man, if anybody will take note that he's saying i'm not going to make you all i'm not going to force you all i'm casting an opportunity before you to come and identify yourself with me and if there's anybody out there that has a desire to follow after me i invite them to come along church how can we best identify with him we're going to do it best when we understand that we're not going to stagger into a place of identity with jesus christ it's going to have to be a volitional choice on our part. There'll have to be some desire. Secondly, if we're going to best identify with Him, if we're going to best say, hey world, I'm with Him, there's going to have to be some determination. He said, if any man will come after me, let him, let him do what? What's that word that we don't like very much? Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. 
Man, what a strong word that is. Deny means repudiate, disown, refuse to affirm. One writer said it this way, to say no to. Have you ever tried to say no to yourself? Have you ever tried to say no to one of your fleshly desires? It's an easy statement here to say, hey, just deny yourself. It's an altogether different thing to do it. How many of y'all ever tried to go on a diet? Man, it's tough, isn't it? You know, the best times I have on my diets is when I've eaten three cheeseburgers, two orders of curly fries, and had a strawberry milkshake on top of it. At the end of that, I'll say, you know what? I'm on a diet. I'm on a diet right now. It's easy to say, no, the flesh is satisfied. But, beloved, when she gets a little bit hungry and you get to thinking about eating, it becomes very easy to give in to the flesh. It's not an easy thing to say no to the flesh. Yea, I believe. I believe it's an impossible thing in the spiritual realm. Why? Because it's, we like to promote ourselves. We like to affirm ourselves. We like to treat ourselves. When our flesh cries out, we like to give it an answer not of no. We like to give it an answer of yes. Not only is this not an easy thing to do, beloved, I submit to you it's an absolutely unnatural thing to do and an almost impossible thing to do outside of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I thought about this. The only way to say no to self is say yes to him. The only way you'll ever deny your flesh and tell it no is when you say yes to him. Because I can just determine to tell my flesh no, 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 no all the time and there's going to come a time down the road I'm going to say yeah. Didn't Paul teach us on one occasion if you'll walk what? After the spirit you'll not fulfill the old lust of the flesh. When you're consumed and driven and walking after under the leadership by the divine understanding of the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit, man, the, he'll say no to the flesh for you. And you begin to pursue the things that are, that are him and his. He says, if anybody is going to come after me, man, he's going to have to say no to his flesh. And it's going to have to happen by saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to identify with Christ? It's going to take a little determination. You're going to have to determine in your mind to walk after the Spirit of God and allow Him to take care of the flesh for you. You're going to say, I'm with Him. Brother, there's going to be some desire. There's going to have to be some determination. Church, there's going to have to be some discernment. He says this. Let Him take up His cross daily. If He's going to come after me, let Him deny His flesh and then let Him take up His cross daily. Now, we paint the cross as a place of suffering, and it is. It is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf greatly. But thanks be unto God for us. It's not really a place of suffering. It's a place of great victory. It's a, it's a place of great freedom. It's a place of great power. It's a place of great hope and security is the cross of Jesus Christ. If we look in the Word, what it means uh, to Jesus was it was His mission. He came into this earth with one thing on his mind, beloved. He came into this earth with one reason, for one reason, and one reason only. And that was to give his life a ransom for many. He was born in that cradle in Bethlehem with his eyes fixed on that cross at Calvary. And you see, he knew before he ever left the portals of glory that he would give his life a ransom for you and for me there at that cross on that day. And nothing was going to deter him from that in this world. He 
was fixed upon it, and he pursued it with every fiber of his being. And what he's saying, I believe to us, is that you have such a mission on this planet. I have given you something to do. He saved me as a little seven-year-old boy with something in mind for me to do. He birthed you into the kingdom of God with something in his mind for you to do. And what he's saying is find what that something is and begin to undertake it, and thereby you identify with me. I wrote it this way. We begin to identify with him at our best when we begin to find and fulfill his call in our lives. We begin to identify with him at our best when we begin to find and fulfill his call in our lives. Now, I want to give you a note. Often the call of God is accompanied by great suffering and by great persecution. It's often right when you find that thing that God wants you to do and you begin to undertake it. And that's when everything the enemy has, he's going to launch against you in your life. That's when things are going to start to come apart. That's when tests are going to come, trials are going to come. When you find and begin to undertake the call of God in your life, you find that it's often accompanied and sometimes precursored by great suffering and persecution. Uh, I love Warren Wearsby. He wrote some thoughts on this kind of phenomenon that I thought I'd bring to you today. He says this, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. Think about that. When you read through the Psalms, weren't most of them derived from a place of absolute uh, test, trial, persecution, threat of death? Weren't they born out of that kind of place? And here we have them today to minister to us when we're in that kind of place and bring us hope and security. He went on to say most of the epistles were written from a prison cell. He wrote most of the great thoughts and the great thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire before they produced in their life. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from a jail cell. Florence Nightingale, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized all the hospitals of England. Here's a statement. Sometimes it seems that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man, he puts him through the fire first before he uses him in that way. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They say he had a plaque on his wall in his bedroom of Isaiah 48.10. Now, all of us probably in here have a scriptural plaque in our house somewhere. Something that reads one way or reads that way. We have one in our house. Choose this day whom we will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And we choose those plaques, and rightfully so. I want you to listen to the plaque that Charles Haddon Spurgeon chose to put on his bedroom wall. Isaiah 48.10, this is not the one that I would have picked if you'd have given me a long time to look through the Word. But here's what's on his plaque. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I've chosen thee in the very furnace of affliction. For he understood, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that to minister greatly meant there was going to be some suffering, some trials, some testing, and some persecution coming in his life. Vance Havner tells us this at the Nicene Council, an important church meeting in the 4th century A.D. Of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. And you see, when we begin to find and fulfill the call of God in our life, we need not be astonished that alongside that's going to come great trial, great testing. Sometimes even persecution. Now listen, it's our joy, isn't it, to find and fulfill the call of God in our lives? I'm going to tell you, you're looking at one little joyful pastor. I'm going to tell you that. I love what I do. 
I derive great joy from it. Man, I love people, love ministering to people. Man, what I'm doing this morning, what I've got to hurry up and finish, is a joy to me. It's not a, a drudgery. It's not work. But I'm going to tell you, it's not easy either. Along with that joyful service to the Lord comes some trials, some tests, and some tribulation. And the same's true in your life. When you begin to undertake the call, when you find it and begin to fulfill it, don't be shocked that the trials and tests come along with it, but man, you ought to be happy when they do. Why? Because it helps you to identify best with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to say, I'm with Him, then we're going to have to discern what our call is, begin to undertake it, and continue it, even though the trials and tests come. Fourthly, and in way of closing, there's going to have to be some dedication. He says, let him take up his cross, how? Daily, every day, and then let him just follow after me. I love the, the words of the psalmist, my soul follows hard. He said, my soul just follows hard after you. I want you, Lord Jesus, more than anything. In church, there's going to have to be some dedication if we're going to identify with him in the best way that we possibly can. Even in the midst of tests and trial, there's going to have to be some dedication. You can't have the waning, unswerving faith. You've got to have one dedicated to the pursuit of him. There was an article in Reader's Digest I loved. It read this way. It said, driving through Texas, a New Yorker collided with a truck carrying a horse. He said a few months later, he tried to collect damages for his injuries. The insurance agent asked him, how can you now claim to have all these injuries? According to the police report, at the time, you said you weren't hurt at all. You told a highway patrolman, the Texas Ranger, there was nothing in the world wrong with you. How come it is now that you've got all these injuries you're trying to claim damages for? The guy responded this way. He said, look, I was lying on the road, beaten, battered, in a lot of pain. I heard someone say the horse and the trailer I hit had a broken leg. The next thing I saw was a Texas Ranger pull out his pistol and shoot the horse. He directly walked to me and asked me, now how are you feeling? He said, what would you have told him? What would you have told him? Sometimes in the test, it's easy to jump ship. Easy to say, Lord, I didn't bargain for this. I think I'll just ease away from that until things get a little better. But if we're going to best identify with him, it doesn't matter if it's an up and victorious time. Or a time of great trial and test. We need to stand close to him. You know, I, I note that I most closely identify that saint of God with Jesus Christ. Who stands the test of time. And who perseveres in the face of much opposition and suffering. Don't you marvel at that person that it seems like one thing come undone, then the next thing come undone, and you say... I don't know how they're able to stand up under the weight of everything that's going on in their life. And you think, man, they must be wondering where God is and, and what He's up to. But when you encounter them, you see a smile on their faith and, and a face, and instead of their faith being dampened, you see it being deepened. And their joy, instead of waning, you see it growing more full and free. And man, I most closely identify that saint of God with Jesus who stood up in that face of persecution. We say, there's someone who surely trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. They must belong to Him. And if we're going to say we're with Him, church, 
we're going to have to understand we've got to say that with some dedication on our mind. That when the tests and trials come, we're not just going to give in, give up, and walk away from Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about picketing. I'm not talking about a political agenda. I'm not even talking about a religion. I'm just talking about an identification with the only begotten Son of God who loved us enough to give himself for us. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm with him. I don't know about you, but when the world drives by this place right here, I hope they don't just see a building. I hope they don't just talk about a bunch of programs. I hope they drive by and say, now them, those people up there in that gathering up there, they're with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've done very well in our country, haven't we? We've been blessed. And we ought to celebrate it. And truth be told, we've not faced a lot of opposition. Not like many children of God face in the world, even today. But if time wanes and time goes on, if it lingers, I sense that there might be a day where we're going to have to say, in the midst of some of the toughest tests and trials, I don't care. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. What purpose are tests and trials in your life? I often believe, I believe often in the time of the greatest challenge. That's when people see our connection with Him in the most deep and full way possible. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.